Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, my goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices, instead look for the processes and questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Will Patch, Enrollment Marketing Leader here at Niche, and my guest today is Allison Tercio. Allison is the Director of Enrollment Marketing and Digital Strategy, and presently also an Instructor of Marketing at Siena College. Siena's digital marketing team has received Marcom, Educational Advertising, and Educational Digital Marketing Awards. Allison was also named to the Albany Business Review 40 Under 40 and received the Siena College Excellence in Administration Award in 2020. Welcome and thanks for making time to chat. Thanks for having me. And when you were just opening and talking about best practices, uh, I didn't know you were going to say that, but that's something that I talk about all the time. I'm not a fan of best practices because if we're all doing best practices, then we're all the same and you cannot make your school stand out if you're chasing everyone else's best practices. So I'm a total fan of finding leading practices for Mm -hmm. your situation and your audience and your school instead of spending all your time looking at everyone else. We are of the same mind. I I hate the term best practices because that assumes that there's one best way of doing it. I like the idea of promising practices. You know, things that, that work well. It's a good Kickstarter. Agreed. I'm sure we'll get into quite a few of those here today. We'll get rolling here with two questions I like to ask everybody, though. What's something you tried that didn't work? And what did you learn? Now you, you sent this to me a couple of days ago. You know, give a little spoiler alert to everybody else that's listening. And I've been thinking about this one. And what I keep coming back to is I think for a long time, our marketing strategy at Siena was one of push. Push to apply, push to visit, push to deposit, push, push, push. It's a lot of us talking at people. And, you know, it worked for a really long time. Boy, it did generate apps. It did generate people signing up to visit. It did. But then it started not to as much. It started not to be as effective. And we started to see that focusing on building the relationship and being in conversation with people rather than talking at them, rather than just saying, this is what we want to say about Sienna. This is the message we want to get out. Thinking about what does our audience need to hear right now in this moment? What's valuable to them? So we've sort of flipped it to be focused on the audience, the customer, versus focused on our institution and our brand. And it really has sort of changed everything, including our outcomes you know, we tried it, we did it for a long time, but it, we recognized it wasn't working anymore and made that change. So have you gone to more of a, a guidance system where you're walking side by side with them and listening and, and helping them rather than apply today? Yeah, definitely. We, we try to be a resource, especially early on when someone's starting a college search. And if you're being that person up front, you don't need to talk about your brand because you're living it. You know, Siena is a Franciscan college, which means we put others first. So we don't need to be talking about, oh, Siena College, Franciscan, liberal arts, career prep. We don't need to be saying all those things because we're proving it by just being in relationship with people. They understand what Siena College is all about by doing that. Some people might look at it and think it's too subtle, but we think it's actually more impactful. Yeah, and that's good, too, that, that you realized what worked last year doesn't work this year, you have to make small changes, sometimes big changes, I'm sure, right? Change is always hard, right? It's hard to look at something that you've been doing for a long time and walk away from it, right? There's safety mm-hmm. and comfort in that. But honestly, we had a year where, where we didn't meet our goals. 
if we hadn't missed, we wouldn't have reevaluated. So that instead of just sort of chalking it up to, oh, it's the market, we said, okay, let's, this is the market, let's fight it. And so what do we have to do? How do we have to reinvent ourselves to fight back against that? So that's really where it came from is by being backed into a corner and fighting your way back out. That's the silver lining of failure, right? Yeah. You have to find the reason that it failed and learn from it and change it. That's how we all grow. So now our attitude is we don't want to have another year like that. None of us do. All of you, all of you listening right now, no one wants to have a missed year of enrollment, but we always act like we're down even when we're up. And so we sort of put ourselves in that position to always be have that fight mentality, that reevaluation mentality, looking at everything really, really critically, even when it's going well, because that's our best hope, we think, for not having a bad year. It was the saying that good is the enemy of great, that if you're satisfied, you're not going to get better. Yeah, that you just kind of accept here, you know, it's all fine. Even with the pandemic, there's there's a risk there of that happening, I think. You can say, oh, yeah, we're just not going to be able to hit our goal or this is just not going to happen because there's so much going on with the pandemic, you know, and Mm -hmm. you could kind of just say that, right? Or you could look at it and you could say, okay, how can we do things differently to still meet our goals or exceed our goals despite these crazy factors that we're facing right now? We just have that approach now because of a missed year. And I don't know, I don't think it'll ever go away. Well, that's a good mentality. I like that. I haven't heard someone describe it that way before. So what practices do you use to brainstorm and bring some new ideas into what you're doing there? Because it sounds like you're always trying to brainstorm. Yeah, that's it's that's funny. We are always trying to brainstorm. So on my own, my best friend is the Notes app on my iPhone. Things just come to me when I know that there's a project that needs thinking on. I actually end up getting thoughts when I'm not thinking about that directly, right? Something else will be going on and it'll pop in my brain. So I'll take out my notes app and I'll talk to Siri and I'll make notes. And somehow a few days later, it all comes together, I think, with an actual formed idea. That only really works though if you have a really clear goal in the beginning because otherwise you just have sporadic thoughts that can't come together in in a way that will be impactful. So that's my best friend. As a team, we use the storyboarding technique I think it's a Disney strategy that they use. So what we do is we use post-its and we put one idea per post-it and we'll, and, and we do it really quick. It's like, you, you don't want to think too hard, mm-hmm. throw ideas, one idea on each post-it. And then we put them all up on a wall and then we start to sort them into categories or themes. And usually from that exercise, we are able to extract something really cool So that's how we usually do it as a group. I like that. And I think that's something people can get a little afraid of. Well, this is only half formed. I don't really want to throw it out to everybody else yet. Half formed ideas can be the best because you might not have the best thing altogether yourself. That's sort of the magic of it. The really important thing is to not think too hard and just sort of rapid succession, Mm -hmm. start writing things down. And that's where great stuff comes from. Yeah, because when your half idea is on the wall next to someone else's half idea, then they combine to something really powerful. Half-formed ideas are great. Those are meant to be built on. You should never be scared to present what you feel like is only a partially formed idea. Throw it out there. What do you have to lose? What are some of the starting points for an office that knows they should be trying to optimize, should have this mentality, 
but they just haven't taken the time to get there yet. Okay, if you're really mired in the day-to-day, then it's your summer project and block it out now before everything Mm -hmm. fills up. That's my best advice. What we've done when we kind of look from a communications flow standpoint, emails, text message, brochures that go out, you know, print everything out and put it all on a wall. See it visually, I think is really important because it becomes so evident what is not lining up to the student journey. Because if your comm flow is not matching to their journey, then you've got a problem. It just is so obvious when you've mapped it out in a visual way, if it does or not. Um, When you're looking in a CRM on a one-off email, you're not seeing that bigger picture. And then my second piece of advice is to read everything out loud. That is the best way to find out if you sound real or if you sound like a robot. You want to sound real. (laughs) There's nothing more important than sounding like a real person when you're trying to reach out to, especially our audience as high school students. But I think it's true whether your your audience is adult learners, whether your audience is graduate students, whether they're transfer students, being real in today's world is what cuts through all that clutter. It's the best way to really find where the faults are and remedy them. I've taken even, and, and maybe this is something you've been doing for a long time, doing the initial writing with voice typing. So that way it's actually how I would say it. Yeah, I don't consciously do that, but you know what? Well, I end up doing that because I'm putting things into the notes app that I'm speaking and then I'm copying and pasting them back to my Mac later on. And that's how I form the message that's going out. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. A lot of my original work comes from how I say it, not how I write it. To the people who hear this and say, I mean, that sounds good, but I'm, I'm just an office of one and, and I'm trying to do 20 things. What are some prioritization things they can do in there to, to kind of get started? Well, you can always start with one cohort, right? A good summer project would be the ones that are rising seniors in high school for Sienna audience mm-hmm. because we, we mostly recruit from high school. I don't have to also tackle the junior, sophomores and freshmen in high school at that time. You know, you take a, a subset, mm-hmm. focus in on that. And also, you could just focus in on pre-application at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is students that have not applied yet. What does that flow need to look like? Pull out a subgroup and then a subset of what they're doing or what action you need them to take. So only look to start at high school seniors, the things that you're sending them before they apply. Then move on to after they apply. Then move on to after they're admitted. So you can take it in smaller chunks. You don't have to do the mm-hmm. whole thing all at once. What are some of these things they should be looking at, you know, to say, how do I know if this email is working? How do I know if this remarketing campaign? I think the hardest one is some of the things like have our telecounselors calling. How do we know that that works or doesn't work? You have to track everything. At Sienna, every time an admissions counselor gets an email from a student, that is tracked Mm -hmm. in our CRM. We use Slate. Every time they get a phone call, that is tracked. When financial aid gets a phone call or email, that gets tracked. We then code those as interactions. And we can then, because they're grouped and bucketed that way, I can tell you the conversion rate of phone calls to our admissions counselors from an inquiry to an app. So you have to track it. And that's most important. The interaction is what matters. It's not the sending of the email that matters. It's the resulting interaction. 
Yeah, I think of it as, as a dialogue, not a monologue. So if what you're doing seems like someone standing out on a street corner with a megaphone, that's not effective. You, you can say that, oh, we sent this email and then we got 20 apps. Okay, but if no one responded to it, how do you know it was that email and not that's when the students had time? Yeah, exactly. It's the engagement that matters, not the sending. The yep. sending of an email might feel good because you could check that off your task list. But what you're getting it at is how do you know what's effective? And yes. it's the action that gets taken to your point that's what's effective. I always am asking the admissions counselors, what did you hear back? Tell mm -hmm. me what the feedback was on that email. And I will take what they tell me more seriously honest than open rate, click rate, and all those vanity metrics. I, I want to know what they're on the ground hearing and seeing from the students. What's the response look like? And because they put that into our CRM, I also can easily look at, okay, show me all students that got this email and the counselor interactions for that week. And I can also then kind of see myself, what are they saying? Mm -hmm. I like to get in the weeds often. I'll go through and see all the interactions that our admissions counselor tracked in the last two days. And I'll just start reading what are the students saying and what are our counselors saying back to them. That gives me the clearest picture of what's going on in the moment than any kind of analytics and metrics can. I like that you're pulling in the qualitative too. Mm -hmm. it, it's so easy to say, oh, this email had 20 people click through to our app. But if it also had a whole bunch of people asking questions and they're all asking the same type of question, that's something that can be clarified up front too, right? Yeah, exactly. It's so one-sided to only look at the quantitative. And because we have so much of it, it can be distracting too, right? Because we can track everything quantitatively when we're talking about communications flows and digital marketing. I mean, what can't we track? We track everything, right? You have to find for your situation and your audience, where do you get the most value for what you're trying to research? And we find a lot of value in the qualitative side. It's good that you mentioned just the sheer volume. There's got to be data literacy for admissions too, right? I mean, you have to have the people who can take all that information and make sense of it. There has to be context. Are you that translator on the team or is that something that you're trying to make sure everybody is able to do? In the aggregate, I'm the person. So I kind of looking at the overall. And so I'll take the context of the analytics, the marketing metrics with what's going on, what I'm seeing feedback wise, um, what I'm seeing them say on social media. You know, I so I sort of combine the qualitative and quantitative. But our admissions team and our financial aid team is really good at looking at a profile and getting a sense of where that student is. You know, you look at that timeline and you can see what they're interested in. You can see what they're being responsive about. And so our whole team is really tuned into how to use the CRM to better understand the student in front of us. So it's really the entire team that is into sort of that data and using that information to have a better relationship and to help the student. First and foremost, we send out a lot of communications that we say, whether you end up at Siena or not. We are going to help you. That's what we do. And we use the data to best equip us to help those students on an individual level. Are you intentionally training people on those skills or you're hiring for them? Or is it just as they do it, they get better and better. And as they work with each other, they get better and better. 
I think we would hire for it if we had much turnover. We don't have a lot of turnover on our team. So we are That's a good problem. <laughs> yeah, it is it's a great problem. We have an amazing team and it's it's a situation where in our entire division of enrollment and marketing, we would miss anyone who wasn't there. So we really focus on training a lot and professional development and we have team meetings where we talk about this stuff. It's a mentality and a cultural thing within our division, I think first and foremost. The funny thing is, it's like, yeah, having data, intelligence, and understanding data, that's important, but there's also a gut instinct there. How do you take Mm -hmm. that data and apply it to this individual student and build a relationship with them? That's more important. The desire for the relationship would be the most important thing we would hire for in the future. If we were near the end, I would say that's a great closing line, but I won't say that. So (laughs) You can edit edit it. (laughs) <laughs> at the end, Will, that's fine with me. All right. <laughs> no, that, that's a great way of looking at it. And while we're talking about all this tracking and everything else, emails are so easy to evaluate, especially if you're using UTM or, or within the CRM. You have, yet you know what's going on with the email. Using UTM, you can see how they engage back on the site. But how are you testing and optimizing other forms of communication? I mean, with digital marketing, you do similar things, but you're sending out a postcard. You're on the road talking one-on-one, things like that. So our communications plan for enrollment is completely tied to our marketing and advertising that we're doing. So I'll give you an example. Admitted students, instead of putting YouTube ads in front of them that are just sort of rah-rah, Siena College, this is what we're all about, we actually have taken the students by interest and we're targeting. So for instance, Mm -hmm. students who marked on their application that they want study abroad we are making sure that they are seeing videos about study abroad and travel opportunities at Siena. Mm -hmm. I'm not worrying about the ones who aren't interested in study abroad. I'm focusing in on them and so on and so on. What we know about them and what we're saying to them in the comm flow is then reflected in the advertising that we're doing to them. I'm not talking about pre-law opportunities to all students. No one's doing that, right? We're talking about pre-law opportunities to the you students. You hope not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're talking about pre-law opportunities to the students. You know who have raised their hand about that program. We will connect them to the faculty. We will email them about it. We will also have the social media and digital advertising that reflect that interest. So we mm-hmm. really kind of do it top to bottom for a student based on what they've told us they're interested in on the application. Is that from the applicant stage on? Are you doing that for prospects, inquiries? The farther you go into the cycle, the more fine you can get with that targeting Mm -hmm. because the more you know about the student. But we do do things where we try to understand the type of college experience that student is looking for at a more general level. Are they looking for a big sports school? Are they looking for a school where academics is number one? Are they looking for a school where there's a good balance between academics and social? You know, what type of school is right for them? And then we use that to put the right kind of content in front of them, which is more relevant and more valuable to them as well. And it will feel less like they're being talked at because it's something that they've said they're interested in. So how are you optimizing that? When you do all this, are you doing a lot of A-B testing, factorial testing? How do you make sure that this message that might be doing great, how can it do better? We do a lot of A-B testing for sure. I think that's the most pure way to just know if something is working or not working. But then always the engagement. I always look at that because when we're doing visit ads, for instance, 
We get comments on that. I look at them and I want to know what people are saying there. That's just as valuable to me as the number of clicks I'm getting. It's really looking at the whole and being ready to dig in and being ready to receive information in whatever form it comes and perceive all of it as valuable because you never know what will mean something in the future, right? So you kind of always have to log it. The more you do that, the more gut instinct I think you develop too. I think that I am better equipped now after watching this happen for 15 years to write the right type of email and develop the right kind of ad as a starting place, always refining from there. But my starting place is stronger, right? Because I've been just consuming all of this data, qualitative and quantitative for years and years and years, right? So I just have a really good idea of what will work to start and what won't work to start from trial and error. And by making mistakes, I have developed this. Right. So don't be scared ever to just take in more and more information. It can feel overwhelming and it can be hard to process sometimes, but receive it because you never Mm -hmm. know when it might become useful to you in the future. I always loved it when you're running an experiment and one of them so clearly fails. It's so underperforming because you've learned something. Exactly. Failure is a good thing. And if you're scared to fail, then you're never going to do anything that stands out. How are you ever going to do something that's unexpected to the audience, surprises the audience, catches their attention if you don't take that risk and know that it's okay to fail? Uh, that's the right mindset that I hope people are taking. But there's just that, that anxiety too of, oh, well, if I fail, will I still have a job tomorrow, right? And I will say this. It's easy for me to sit here and say that. And it probably sounds like I'm preaching to everybody else right now. But really, I'm just trying to give you the confidence And I am lucky enough to have had leadership and support and a safety net in which to do that. And I know that that doesn't exist for everybody. But if it's your own self and your own fear that's causing you to stop, that's what I want you to think about. Can you let go of some of that and try something new and try something that might not work? Go for it. If it's you that's holding you back, I understand that there's other things that might be holding you back at your institution or your organization or culturally where you work. But if it's you, go for it. Do you have any thoughts on how someone can kind of coach up to their manager or boss and say, I want to try these things. Here's why I think they'll work. If they fail, I want you to help support that and be okay with that because we can learn from it. Being confident and providing that solid research, which you have access to use the data to show, I think we should try this. None of these ideas should ever just come out of left field. It should be based on something you know about your audience, something you're seeing in the data, and then you present it in that way, I think. So present it as a fully cooked plan and ask for the support. So maybe that's where it's important not to be scared. It's not just don't be scared to fail, but don't be scared to ask for support for what you're trying to do. You know what you're doing. You might be a social media manager. You might be the person right now who's in charge of the enrollment comp flow. Whoever you are, you are the expert at what you do on your team. And so own that and have confidence in that and present a really strong idea and ask for support. You talked about, I like this, that the marketing enrollment plans are closely tied together. How are you figuring in remarketing? You talked a lot about this micro-targeting, which I, I assume has some degree of remarketing in there. Uh, How do remarketing and digital marketing figure into that full plan? Well, remarketing is 
so valuable because it's based on their behavior, right? They were on this website. They did this with social media and then they receive ads from there. But it's the same kind of idea. The decision on the marketer's side is what should then be shown after someone has done this action? They've been to this website. And so that's really important, I think. And that's how it fits into the overall. But how do you know what that is? You only get that from having a really, really good knowledge about your audience and an understanding of the journey that they take. So if someone's looking at the financial aid website and they just spent 10 minutes on it, what's the next thing for them to get? Maybe it's not a digital ad. Maybe it's an email from the financial aid office saying, I talked to a lot of families about how important financial aid is to them. Let's start that talk now. What's your cost going to look like? A lot of times that conversation doesn't happen until after a student is admitted and has a financial aid package. And I ask why. Why would you not talk about that as early as possible in a student's journey, given Mm. that we all know it's one of the main factors in their final decision? But we're going to ignore it until, in some cases, they don't get their financial aid packages from colleges for the last two or three weeks before May 1, if we're talking about May 1 type of schools here. That's when we're going to talk about it for three weeks, when it's the number one, two, or three decision factor and where they're going to go to college. Well, it's a hard conversation. Let's just avoid it as long as possible, right? It'll go away if we just pretend it's not there. (laughs) It is a hard conversation, and that's the most important conversations to have are the hard ones. Yep. You have to have them early. You address it up front. And I think there's that fear of, well, what if people choose not to apply because they they don't think that they can afford it? But would you rather lose them during the summer because they can't? Or would you rather they not retain or... Yes, exactly. It only hurts it down the road. So that's like putting your application numbers as the goal instead of graduating students, retaining students, enrolling students as the goal. So you always got to think about what are you actually trying to accomplish here? I'm getting a feeling here. It seems like your philosophy maybe is guiding them to that next step because there is that idea too that you can use remarketing if they like financial aid let's show them more financial aid content yeah if they go to the biology page let's show them more biology content i'm hearing though that you're thinking of it instead as okay you like biology let's take you to that next step is that right yeah exactly you know i think jeremy tears has been on your show before in the past right and one of the things he talks about is leading the conversation well i take that to heart across the entire marketing plan and the marketing strategy So yes, we are helping to lead on the journey. This is something that we do all the time, watch students go through these cycles. They just do it once. They don't know the formula. They don't know what should be taken next. The biology example is that you just mentioned is an awesome one. Yes, I think most schools would know they were on the biology website and then serve them advertising about biology. I would probably do that, but then I would also probably do an email or an outreach from the counselor, the admissions counselor that says, let's talk about what's going to be important to you in your biology program. Well, if that student was saying initially, and we we know in our CRM, that student said they're interested in art and now they're on our biology pages. Yeah, exactly. That's where the value comes in of the whole team understanding the value of what you can see in the CRM and using that data to have the one-on-one with the counselor. Yes, we've sent out many an email or many a correspondence that's, are you in the right major? Let's have that conversation because what we're seeing looks confusing. 
and that happens a lot of times. The, you know, students come to the college search process hanging on to a major with like a death grip, right? They yeah. really, really, really think I'm going to major in this. This is what I'm going to be. I can only look at schools with this major. We all know that that is not true once they get to college. Mm-hmm. Most of them switch. They don't actually end up, but they will hold on to it with a death grip. Let's talk about that, though. So if communications major or whatever it might be is the most important thing to how you formed your list of schools, okay, now you know that, but how are you going to choose between them? What's important to you? Is it access to hands-on learning? Is it internships? Is it the faculty having certain credentials? Is it getting into grad school? What are the factors important to you? Because now you've got to decipher between that list you've made, that you've, you've sliced your list based on major. Well, now what? And so we can be the ones that help them think about that. And we can lead that conversation. And there's always that hazard too of, I'm only going to the school because of this major. What happens when they, like a lot of students, switch? Do they still have that affinity? Speaking of hard conversations, that's a hard conversation that we should be frank about. Those are the types of conversations we should be having, honest ones. That's being real and that's actually serving them. What's more important than those kinds of conversations with these prospective students? Help them, serve them, and the rest will come. I really, really believe that. Getting back to that guidance again, I I think that's your core philosophy. Develop a relationship. Whether they end up at your school or not, we are in this field to help students. Who's working in admissions or enrollment management or higher ed marketing right now that's not trying to help the next generation get into college and help all of us in our society become better? because of what those students do. I hope that's why we're all doing this. That's why I'm doing this. So serve them first. They should be more important than the institution every single day. And I always say their journey is more important than your funnel. We like to talk about funnels. Their journey does not match your funnel. They don't all fit into that formulaic view of the world and the college Mm -hmm. search process. They're all on their own journey. And just because they all fit in the same persona and you have these different types of students, their journeys are all individual. I know it's not a popular opinion, but I'm not a fan of personas because I think it causes us to think that everyone or even that there's groups of people operating or behaving in a certain Mm -hmm. way. I much prefer trying to react to an individual student's behavior than trying to put them into buckets. And I know that's hard especially when you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of students in some cases at the top. But there's still ways to ask a question, develop an email or content in a personal way that even if you can't write it one-on-one to each student, it's asked in a way that's personal and it opens up the student to responding with their story and their experience. I'll just sit here and clap and say, I, I, <laughs> I mean, that, that's exactly, I mean, you have exactly the right mindset. I hope people really take that to heart. The, the personas, the behavioral scoring, all these things that are popular buzzwords, it's almost giving permission to be lazy that you can say, well, you know, if it's this persona, we'll just treat them all the same. And yeah, there's some people who don't really fit in that bucket as neatly, but we'll just push all that out and, and we'll build our content around these personas. And it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and maybe at the beginning, but always 
looked with the eye on if I'm putting out this communication, this ad, what is it doing for the student on an individual level? So yeah, maybe the content, the words that you're putting are framed around a persona because it's impossible to segment every single communication down to an individual student, right? It's, that's impossible. But how can you make it feel individual to them and make it feel valuable to them on a personal level? That you can do even if it's a mass email. So that that would be the approach I would take because otherwise I know it's impossible and that this is sounding like how in the world would this ever be accomplished? It's more about the mindset than the granular one-to-one that will come if you have the mindset of being focused on the audience first and foremost. They are so much more important than what the institution wants to say about itself. I mean, if you focus on their behaviors and what they're actually doing instead of what persona they are, you'll guide them much better. Yeah, that's a good point too, because personas are often based on what, like focus groups and stuff like that, things students say. There's a lot of research out there. If anyone hasn't read up on behavioral science and behavioral Mm -hmm. marketing, there's a big difference between what someone says versus how they actually behave. Um, There's this one story of the, have you ever heard the wine store experiment that they did? I don't think so. They're in a wine store and they played French music. Mm -hmm. And when they were playing French music, the sale for French wine, the sales were like through the roof. Then they played German music. And again, during that time period, the German wine sales were through the roof. They told the people, the purchasers, that that they had done this experience. We we played French music wondering if you would buy French wine. And all Mm -hmm. of the people would say, no, this was an individual choice. I was not influenced by music. <laughs> yep. I'm not saying don't do focus groups and don't listen to yep. people, but a lot of times you need to combine what they're saying with what they're actually doing. When we're talking digital, user recordings, heat mapping, things where you can actually see what they're doing much, much better than, you know, hey, saying people down, asking them, you can get some good feedback of, you know, what do you think of these ads? What do you think of this website layout? But when you actually see them using it, you'll get much better data. No one's ever going to say they like a digital ad in front of them. I mean, who's oh, going to yeah. say they want a digital ad? And they're going to, they, and honestly, most people don't even notice them. But in that subconscious, they have seen what you've put out there, even if they didn't click or consciously notice it. But yeah, there's so many things that they're going to say, oh, no, I don't like that ad. Meanwhile, you're getting a lot of traction with that ad. So Mm -hmm. there's asking and behaving and you've got to combine the two. Feedback is important, but it can't be everything. And personas are often developed, I feel like, based on what the students say about themselves and their own perceptions of themselves and where they think they'll end up in college. Where they think they'll end up often, as we all know, ends up being very different than where they end up, right? So you just have to use these personas and use these different audience segments with a grain of salt. Just know what it is and what it isn't. It's not a one-size-fits-all. When does one-size-fits-all ever work? Uh, I'd say about never. Never. (laughs) So that's really the point we're getting at, right? One-size-fits-all is never going to work. So we just said that and your communications plan, your marketing plan is everybody gets the same thing. Yep. That's probably a sign that this will be worth the time and work to reevaluate what you're doing. Yeah. Yep. That should be a big red flag that, ooh, we're, we're wasting a lot of time and money. Exactly. 
Well, there there seems like a good stopping point before we before I keep going on too much of a tangent. So, Allison, I, I want to thank you again. I really appreciate the time chatting. It's a busy time, I know, so I, I'm I'm just thankful for this. Thanks, Will. No, it's great to be on, and I'd love to connect with anyone who's listening. So, find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I always like to make new friends and colleagues in our industry. Good deal. Everyone listening right now, where can they find you there? On Twitter, I'm Allison Tercio. A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-U-R-C-I-O. And I think it's the same thing on LinkedIn, actually. So if you Google me, I'll come up. All right. Easy enough. Well, thank you for anyone listening shortly after this comes out. We're hopefully in the waning days of the pandemic. So hope you stay safe and everything goes smoothly for you.